What are the things to look for in keeping the right handcuff running backs on your roster? What are the signs that are pointing to Doug Baldwin having another big year in 2016? And what can we reasonably expect in Eddie Lacy's Dump the Plump Challenge? Plus, the 2015 FFPC Big Payback Champion and $60,000 winner Brian Owens co-hosts with me tonight. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your Eric Balkman Show edition of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour starts now. Live from the WRST Radio Studios in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and heard around the world on the WRST stream, it's the Eric Balkman Show. February 5th, Eric Balkman Show edition of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com live from the Gatorade Studios. Support for the show is also provided in part by Wendy's who wants to remind you that for a limited time only, you can get a big deal on a big meal. Get a junior bacon cheeseburger, four-piece nuggets, fries, and a drink for just $4. Check it out at your local Wendy's today where quality is their recipe. Greetings and salutations to all the Balkaholics listening tonight. I'm your slightly above-average host, Eric Balkman. My usual co-host, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak, has the week off again. So we have once again upgraded to a very talented, high-stakes fantasy football player fill-in co-host. He is from Cincinnati. He's been playing high-stakes fantasy football for 10 years. When he's not playing, he spends his time running his own business, coaching youth sports, and cheering on the Bengals and Kentucky Wildcats basketball team. He's also been building up his man cave over the years, which now includes 17 televisions, a Vegas ticker, and stadium-style seating. And with more than $60,000 already being awarded to him from his second-place finish in the FFPC High Society League, as well as his .1-point title, uh, winning title in the Big Payback League this season, uh, as well as having a team currently in fourth place in the world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge, He's going to have the opportunity to upgrade that man cave even more. Please welcome my co-host for the evening from the No Mercy franchise, Brian Owens. Brian, thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Thanks for having me, Eric. Great to be a part of the show. You know, $60,000 can buy a lot of things, but one of the things it's not able to buy is a Bengals playoff victory, and I'm, I'm sure if you had the opportunity, you'd be ponying up that cash to see it happen once. I would. You know, the question comes along where would you spend the money to go to the Super Bowl? And and absolutely, I would be there no matter what I had to do. But unfortunately, I'm not sure if I will ever see that day. And you know, you never know. It's one of those things. Of course, I never thought I'd see the Wisconsin Badgers in the national championship game for basketball. So it, you know, keep the faith, Brian. It's a good. Team well, you, well, you know, we uh, we have a rival there because I was actually at the game and it was heartbreaking my son started crying and so your joy was was definitely uh not the same feeling for me but congrats good program you know i will i, I will say this about kentucky i over the years for whatever reason when i don't have a dog in the fight uh in any sport you know i i always seem to root for the favorites um when the patriots were undefeated i really didn't care but when they got to be at that point i'm like man i want them to go 19 and 0 I always rooted for the Shaq and Kobe Lakers when everybody else was rooting against them. I always rooted for the Yankees. I have no allegiance to any of these teams. I just always root for them. But I'll tell you this. When Wisconsin beat Kentucky, I was obviously thrilled, but a little part of me was like, man, Kentucky was so close to going undefeated for the entire season. I would have loved to see that as well. So, uh, Well, you know, you know it's, a good, it's a good lead-in because obviously the same things happen with fantasy. The, you know, the best teams don't always win. And uh, that's the second Kentucky team in the last, five years or so that's probably go down to two of the best teams in college basketball that didn't win and i'm sure many of the the people listening tonight and myself who's been playing in these leagues for a long time we all know the best teams don't always win 
Yeah, that is why they play the games. It's what makes it so entertaining, uh, you know, when we uh, when we see stuff like that happen. So entertaining and so frustrating. And coming up on tonight's show, uh, we'll talk about Brian's thoughts on the zero running back theorem, what receivers DeAndre Hopkins will not climb past in 2016 ADP, and which of Adam Gase's Dolphins will be worth owning going forward, plus much, much more. Shout out to the chat room right now. If you guys have any questions for Brian or for myself, post them in there right now. You can connect with us on Twitter at HSFFR, at Eric Balkman, at David Gerzak uh, for Dave, uh, and just tell him how much you enjoyed the show this week now that uh, we've upgraded with uh, Brian and uh, how, how great the show is going to be. You can post on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the high stakes fantasy football hour. Uh, you can give us a call at 347-426-3682-347. Game OBA is the phone uh, line if you want to give us a call and chat with us tonight. You can also email the show at the FedEx inbox at highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Our producer and mutual friend Rob, audio engineer Bryce, still working behind the glass tonight. They'll get those questions to us later on in our fantasy feedback segment coming up at the bottom of the hour. I want to do remind everybody, too, before we get going uh, on the show tonight, that if you are interested in playing High Stakes Dynasty Fantasy Football, we do have some orphan teams open at the Fantasy Football Players Championship. You can go to myffpc.com, go to the forums there. Dave actually has them posted on the message boards, all the rosters, all the draft picks that are available. You can uh, make your best offer to Dave at myffpc.com if you want to take one of those over. Once again, we do not start up uh, any new startups until all those orphan teams are paid off. So this is your best chance to get involved with Dynasty. NFL Draft, I know the Super Bowl is on Sunday, but the NFL Draft coming up at the end of April, early part of May. So it's going to be here before we know it. Make sure you get a Dynasty team uh, to uh, to get in on some of that rookie draft action coming up. Uh, I want to thank uh, Roto World. I want to thank Football Guys and, of course, our producer Rob for tonight's rundown. Before we get to it, let's get to know Brian Owens a little bit better. Brian, when you're not winning the big payback, when you're not uh, being the runner-up in the high society, when you're not crushing the main event, uh, what are you doing for a living? You're, you own your own business. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I own, a, I own a digital media company, and we specialize in helping universities recruit international students. So what we do is we create mobile apps, digital e-brochures, and then the universities across the U.S. will distribute those in an attempt to draw the students into their program. Um, I've been doing this for about, well, probably about 10 to 12 years now. Um, did it working for a company prior, and then about five years ago, ended up doing my own business. Um, so it's kind of nice. It gives me the flexibility to play fantasy football, but uh, it definitely keeps me on my toes, keeps me busy. Uh, and I have an eight-year-old, so like you said earlier, I, I do also coach sports as well. So it, it's kind of crazy in, in the Owens household, but overall very good. I've been married 12 years, and, and you said earlier, been playing high-stakes fantasy for quite a while as well. That's awesome, man. What, what sports are you coaching your son in? Well, we've we've been. I uh, coached football. I coached basketball, and I've also coached baseball. Um, as wow. an eight-year-old, he is a giant. Uh, he's much bigger than than most eight-year-olds. But we've we've experienced really uh, firsthand the whole concussion issue. Um, he has had two concussions in football, and so as you can imagine, his football career is already over. Um, so it is uh, interesting when you see these shows and you you know see the movies and things like that. Uh, it's a real problem, and it's something that even in, in dealing with an eight-year-old, we've experienced it twice. So I'm sure that will continue to be the topic. But, yeah, I definitely have experienced it firsthand with my son. Wow, that is interesting. So is he sticking to baseball and basketball going forward then? Yeah, I think basketball is going to be a sport. Um, he did play baseball, but he definitely, with his size, is is really liking the the basketball aspect of it. So I imagine that, uh, at least from that point of view, I'll be able to, to scale back on my coaching. I won't have to, to focus on all sports. Exactly. Well, I, as a coach of uh, of many games, of many different sports, you've obviously been involved um, on, on the athletic field in, in a lot of close games. But you were also involved in an extremely tight game, uh, extremely tight matchup in the big payback playoffs uh, with you coming out by point one points ahead of Chad Schroeder's Cocktails and Dreams uh, for the title. $25,000, you already earned another 5000 for being one of the top two seeds uh, in that. So a $30,000 payday for winning the big payback. But what was it like sweating out that win in Week 16? Uh, yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, as we all know, Chad is the best. 
Uh, most people that you know are playing in your competitions and just in the high stakes industry as a whole, he is the guy. He's the, he's the main man, and anytime you can beat Chad, it definitely feels good. Um, you know, when you win by less than a point, like you said, it is torture, though. So I do not wish it on anybody, and as many people that have been in, in fantasy leagues have probably had that happen to them a time or two. Um, I've been on the other side of it where I lost kind of a higher stakes league maybe four or five years ago in a similar situation, um, but now I guess the, the, tie, the tide turned, as you would say, gave me the opportunity to win. And, and that weekend as a whole was kind of crazy just with Chad, um, because Chad and I were also battling another similar high society league for, for another format. And it came down to the final week, very big prize on the line. And both of us took the stress out of it. We actually decided to split. So he did get his revenge on me. He beat me. Um, but at least going into that game, I didn't have to deal with the stress on top of the other league. So it was a little easier. And he's a class act. Um, he sent me a message you know, kind of funny, right Right after the catch, he sent me the congratulations message, and we both were thinking the same thing, because I don't know, you know, most of you probably don't know, but it went to the Monday night football game with Cincinnati and Denver, and I had Marvin Jones, and I needed something like six points or so to win, and Marvin Jones had a couple of catches, got things going off, but then went on a drought, and so we got late into the third, it might have been the fourth quarter, and it was kind of funny because he texted me. I was about to open up negotiations, and surprisingly, <laughs> Marvin Jones didn't catch another pass. So it was literally one catch uh, that made the difference, or him and I would have probably been working out some type of other arrangement. That's just crazy. Wow. It, it, you know, it's unbelievable where it's just, you know, games like that, just it, they really, I've said this on the show before many times, they really do come down. To, to one play or two plays or, or, or a yard or two. And, and then not even that, but then sweating out the, the stat updates for the few days following, it, 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 it is torture. That uh, was like definitely on the, on the radar, and it actually did drop some. I think it, at one point it was like .6 or .8. So something must have adjusted along the way because it did go from that to, you know, to even lower. I mean, you're getting into basically a tie at that .1 mark. So, Brian, that was the outcome uh, of the big payback, but let's talk a little bit about uh, the team that helped get you there. Uh, strategy question here for you. A lot of players um, seem to be, at least when we've talked to people on the show, um, there seems to be two large schools of thought in drafting tight ends in the FFPC. A lot of people say you got to get a top three guy, you got to get a top four guy, and then you wait. Um, other people say, you know what, let other people overdraft tight ends. I'm just going to pound out three tight ends in like the 8th, ninth, 10th, or ninth, 10th, 11th, and hopefully one of those guys hits. But you actually kind of middled uh, both those strategies in, in the uh, big payback and high society. Big payback, you go with Jordan Cameron, Delaney Walker in the 6th, 7th rounds. And then in those same rounds uh, in, the, uh, in the high society, you go Jason Witten, Delaney Walker. Talk a little bit about um, those uh, four selections there, why you went tight end, tight end in the 6th and 7th. Well, it's really interesting. Uh, in the high society, five, take, five tight ends were taken in the first four rounds. Um, the part that makes it complicated is that one team took three of them, and a second team took two of them. So that left uh, quite a bit of a, uh, the rest of the group with really no tight ends. So there really wasn't a whole lot of strategy involved at that point. Um, in that specific league, I felt like I was forced to take the first one um, you know, Delaney Walker obviously was more of a home run. The other one, you know, not so much. But it was the right move because I tried to make sure, number one, I had the tight end I wanted first. But two, I also wanted to, at that point, become defensive and block some of the other guys that I knew were going to be taking tight ends in the near future. And sure enough, Glenn, who ended up winning that league, and he's a great competitor. Um, he ended up following suit and took two tight ends as well. And then that followed a rally where eight tight ends were drafted in rounds six and seven. Um, so I think, you know, again, not much strategy involved with that one. It was just knowing the competition, seeing what was going to happen, and then you know, just being right on the prediction part of it. Um, in, the big, in the big payback, it was a little different. I had three strong receivers and two running backs to start out the draft. So I had the flexibility to, to kind of just go off of my rankings. And, and I love Delaney Walker. He really helped me this year. I took him in a lot of leagues. Um, you know, again, the other one 
was okay, but but not much. Um, so you know, when you think about it, it just kind of fell that way. That one was more spaced out. People were taking tight ends. I think we pretty much most of us at that point had at least one, so it wasn't as crazy as, as the high society. But you know, with the competition you're going against in this type of league, you really have to kind of be prepared to adjust your strategy. You can't just do what you've normally done because who would have thought that some of the best players would have started out three tight ends in you know the first few few rounds, and and that's. You know, not something that you probably would normally see in in a main event competition, and, and in the big payback, um, I was fortunate just to, to even win the league, um, considering I lost Justin Forsett, Keenan Allen, and also Dion Lewis. Uh, there was a time in the beginning part of the season when I was just dominating, and and it just went south quickly. But then, which you'll touch on a little bit later, I think in your show, just some of the handcuffs and some of the people that I took flyers on kind of worked out. So I was fortunate in that sense. Well, I could be wrong, but when I was looking at this, I want to say it was high society. Um, did Glenn Lowy, did he take, did he have Le'Veon Bell on his team, and then he still ended up winning the league? He did. Um, he made a great move, which, you know, hopefully all of the people that took Le'Veon Bell had the chance to get D'Angelo Williams. Um, I know that was big, you know, especially for him, and, 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 and he's really one of the reasons, because I, I had a big league kind of going into that final week, uh, and in that week, uh, Williams had a great game, so I knew it was kind of key, but he hit, just like I had on Delaney Walker, he got Tyler Eifert at that, at that right around that area, um, his second tight end was Kyle Rudolph, so Kyle Rudolph, you know, kind of a not-so-hot year, but I do know in the final week, Rudolph had a big touchdown, so definitely helped him win and justified that pick. So you never you never know. Um but you know, Glenn had a great draft and he even got Devontae Freeman in the in the ninth round, which really allowed him to the flexibility to overcome some of that with Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, and Brian, I think it's a I think you'll agree it it's a testament to what you guys did in high society to to be the one two finishers with, with him losing Bell, with you losing uh, Forsett and Keenan Allen and Deion Lewis and, and you know for people who say like well you, you can't lose that many guys uh, and, and still be competitive or you can't lose a guy uh, like Le'Veon Bell halfway through the season and still expect to win anything it's really a testament to what e- even at that highest level of competition in the high society it's a testament to what really still can be done no matter what happens to your team that you can not only be still be com- competitive but still finish uh, right at the top of the heap yeah, absolutely. Who would have, who would ever thought, you know, when it came down to the finals of the high society, you know, my two tight ends, I had Delaney Walker and Gary Barnage. And, you know, most, most people, Gary Barnage, you know, was not on the radar at the drafts. Um, I, in fact, one of my buddies who's a Browns fan told me, hey, you might want to look at Gary Barnage before, you're kind of like in the preseason before that. And I'm like, I don't even know who that is. So I, I didn't really even pay much attention and, you know, then again, look who won many people leagues. And I was fortunate enough in that case to spend some of my free agent money to get him when the time was still right. But between him and Walker, that, that really kick-started my team. And then um, I, I missed on Peyton Manning, you know, which many people probably did. Not that I took him too early. I took him in about round 11. But who would have thought I would have got Carson Palmer in round 18 and that would have been a significant move to getting to that point of having a chance to win that league as well. You had uh, a lot of contributions uh, this year, uh, not only from you know hitting on the guys like Delaney Walker, but I look at at the non you know quote unquote stud running backs that that you had on your team: James White, Ryan Matthews, Ronnie Hillman, and then obviously Deion Lewis and and Buck Allen, who. Uh, really weren't you know drafted as stud running backs, but became stud running backs at different points of the season. Uh, strategy question here for you: Are players? Do you feel players who are not drafting target magnet receivers um, early on like you did, and then throwing darts at like sort of middle round running backs uh, and just trying to hit on those? Are those guys missing the boat? I mean, is that the way uh, to be successful in in high stakes fantasy football drafts? Yeah, I believe they are missing the boat. I think we, we all have kind of experienced a shift in the NFL. Um, you can definitely see that running backs seem to have a higher risk of bust, busting right now than wide receivers. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I looked at a couple of things prior to the show, 
And, you know, I went into two receivers that were drafted in the first round of the high society. Demarius Thomas went seventh and Calvin Johnson went 10th. Um, most of us would agree that these, you know, top first round picks didn't have what you would consider special seasons. In fact, some might argue that they even had down years compared to, of course, what they've done in the past. But with that being said, um, both of these receivers finished with more fantasy points than all running backs besides Devontae Freeman and Adrian Peterson. Um, Freeman roughly had around 303 points, uh, Peterson roughly around 252 points. And if you look at that, uh, again, of the receivers, and Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, they scored almost 100 more points than the best running back, the, the, the running back that you know won the rushing title uh, this year, and 50 over a running back, Devontae Freeman, that wasn't even a high draft pick. So, you know, when you're looking at the first round, just, I mean, you, you can go on and on, the Eddie Lacy's, the C.J. Anderson's, you know, there, there was so many busts, and it, it's not just happening in the first round. It, it's carrying out to rounds four and five, and, and people that, where they go, you know, receiver so heavily, then they're kind of, you know, they kind of have to hit on these. So you have two strategies. You either go receiver and then you kind of just hope for the best, or you go running back, and if your team busts, then it's very, very much difficult to, to come back from that. So I think, yes, there's a shift. Um, looking at that strategy, it, you know, it, it makes me think, will I ever take a running back in the top ten picks again? You know, I, I was, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this uh, on the show uh, next week, and uh, w- when Dave's back. But when we were, I was looking, I was prepping for this last week when I thought we were gonna get to it, uh, our, our sort of running backs in review show, and I was looking at how they finished. I I was shocked uh, when I saw that. You know, back in the day, it always seemed like the, you know everybody and their mother had had a running back uh, going over a thousand yards rushing. There was only seven running backs in the NFL this year that had over 1,000 yards rushing and only three that had more than 1,100, which is it just it speaks to, to what you're talking about, Brian, with the shift in how the NFL uses its skill position players. Uh, running backs seemingly more of a committee approach, seemingly more of a replaceable position, and wide receivers seem to be the more consistent performers and obviously the performance that have been busting less uh, than running backs over the past couple of seasons. Well, and, and not to say that receivers don't get injured, because obviously look at Des Bryant, but you know, in general, it seems like year in, year out, they're, they're less likely to get season-ending injuries compared to the running backs, the Jamal Charles, the people that happen almost every year, and it's not just one, one player. I mean, it seems like it's a handful for whatever reason, um, where running backs are missing big chunks of the season, so that so that's one of the big differences. Why, you know, to, to your point, um, I think my days of drafting a running back in the top picks just they've passed. We, we kind of talked about this earlier, but I wanted to get your thoughts on on how your strategy changes uh, when when you're drafting in in the main event uh, where you know you know maybe one or two guys in your league. Um, you're familiar with them, and the rest of them are kind of a mystery. And then you go to the leagues like the Big Payback and the High Society, guys uh, like Glenn Lowy, David Hubbard, Drew and Josh Maselli, Jeff Tirabasi, you mentioned Chad Schroeder, obviously. Um, we know that they're high-stakes accomplishments. I mean, you know, and Brian, yourself included, you guys have all won a ton of money uh, playing high-stakes fantasy football. Does, does your draft strategy change when you're going against guys like that, guys you know who have been – uh, competing and been successful at the highest level versus, you know, in the main event or maybe a football guys league where, you know, everybody knows their stuff, but maybe they're not, uh, they don't have the track record that, that some of these guys do. Does the draft strategy change for you or it, does it still hold true? You're going to do it the same way uh, in both formats. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a funny story or kind of an interesting way to look at this. So, of course, the guys that you just mentioned, you know, they're right up there with the Chads, the Glens. They're, they're the best of the best. And, you know, to, to even spend the kind of money it takes to enter one of these leagues, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of risk. And, and you have to be able to back that up. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're either going to not want to play fantasy football again or you're never going to sleep. So, you know, the interesting thing <laughs> is, as even though we all think we're, you know, these experts and, and we all know, you know, know our stuff, let me just give you some interesting things here because, you know, one of the things you would think, well, there's no value that falls to anyone in a draft like this. 
and it's in this case a real live high society draft this year uh, it is such the opposite. Uh, the best of the best, we let value go left and right. And in fact, um, you really probably don't know this. Well, of course you don't know it at the time, but you know it now. So I'm just going to give you some players here. And again, knowing that, that these are the best of the best, and you know, if you want to say I'm, I'm up there, I appreciate that as well. But let's just look at it. Um, Cam Newton went in the 15th round. So, you know, look look at the MVP possibly for the season, Cam Newton, 15th round. Doug Baldwin, 16th round. Carson Palmer, 18th round. And Kamar Aiken, 15th round. Now, there's a combination of these guys that I'm, I'm sharing with you because I imagine not just in, in the leagues that we're doing here, but these guys won probably many championships this season. So it's kind of funny because the irony of the story is that most of the guys, you know, that are in this league, we're all guilty. We all made mistakes at one point or another, and it just shows you that you should never go in thinking that there's not value because every draft has value. It's just you don't know where it's at. Ah, very true, very true. And and with this group, well, and another thing that's interesting, so, you know, with this group, a lot of us, what you would call junkies, I guess, at some point it has to become a normal fantasy player. But, uh, you know, we're, we're entering the same high-stakes league. So when we get out to Vegas, it's a little bit different, you know, than the main events because, I, you know, I've been doing those as well. But we're moving from casino to casino. We're, we're sitting down in different ballrooms. And sure enough, when you sit at the table, it's the same guys in every league. So you're sitting next to Chad. You're sitting next to you know all of these guys that you've just drafted with, which make up about two days of drafts. And it almost got comical because we actually knew who the other person was going to pick. <laughs> and when it got to the point where you would think that, the irony is, is not many of us spread it out or, or tried to diversify what we were doing. Now, you know, of course, depending upon how many teams you have and the money that's involved, you might have shifted and taken a player that you know you didn't take in the other league because you didn't want to be so heavy on one player. But it is funny because we you talk about strategy. Imagine having not only what you perceive to be no value, but knowing that you just sat in the in the in the same draft with a, these guys two hours ago, and here you are saying, okay, I know who this person is going to take, and sure enough, they know who you're going to take. So it, 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 it's definitely interesting when you start thinking about the strategy of, of not only one league, but how about four to six of these types of leagues. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you're, you're not only, you know, trying to draft uh, your, you know, the best team you can, but you're, you're also sort of, you know, playing uh, the individual. Like you would, not to bring up a poker reference, but you're sort of playing the guy uh, on either side of you, and and uh, you know based on how their draft is falling, it's it, it it the fact that it's those high like the highest of high stakes drafts are at the end of the weekend when when you've done you know so many drafts leading up to the point that that's like when you're it's sort of like you know final exams in in college you know where it just it seems like you you do all this studying and then it all leads up to that and and you have to draft. Uh, your best teams uh, when you're most stressed out. I think that that's uh, another compelling um, aspect of, of, you know, drafting against all these guys in so many different leagues, you know, all across Vegas. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And, and like I said, we all make mistakes. As good as we are, we all make mistakes. I mean, I look at the, the big payback, and, you know, you look, you look, I had the third pick in the draft, and the first two guys didn't take Antonio Brown. In fact, um, Chad, I believe it was, took um, Adrian Peterson. So had he have taken Brown in that spot right in front of me, we wouldn't even be having this conversation today. So, you know, again, Chad's the best of the best, and, and I have a good relationship with him. But I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And, and the day that we don't think we're making mistakes in drafts uh, will be the day we probably lose. <laughs> Um, let's let's talk about uh, high society again. Uh, some of the running backs that you took late. Uh, well, I shouldn't say late, but in the middle part of the draft, Brian. Uh, rounds 12 through 15, Carlos Williams, 
Cameron Artis Payne, Buck Allen, and Lorenzo Taliaferro were your selections there. And obviously, Carlos Williams, Buck Allen, both big picks for you uh, in that situation. When you're talking about these middle-round running backs, these dart-throw running backs, uh, you know, handcuff running backs in the middle parts of drafts, what things do you look for uh, in, in these guys? Uh, what did those guys uh, have in common there that, that you liked, that you made them uh, your choices there? And uh, when, you're, when you're looking for good backup running backs to select in the second half of drafts, what features, what aspects uh, do you look for in, in trying to get the right ones? It was a great question, and it really kind of comes down into the, to the league itself. So let's say it was a main event, for example. Uh, we're trying to win a grand prize, and there's you know many teams that we're up against. Uh, in a league like that, my theory has kind of always been, you know, I won't I won't necessarily take a handcuff just to be taking a handcuff if I think that there's a player there that can help me at another position or that has higher upside. Uh, I've not always taken the handcuff, and sometimes that's helped me, and sometimes that's obviously burnt me. But when you're playing in a high society league with the entry fee that we're playing in. You don't really have a choice. It's, it's kind of like getting insurance on your investment. You really have to start out and at some point take the backups of the, at least the running backs that you drafted early. Because, again, most of the people in these leagues, you know, they're, they're either taking receivers or taking the top tight ends. So you don't have a choice. And, in fact, that may even cause you to have to reach a round or two early uh, just to make sure that you, don't, you know, that you do get that backup. I mean, look at the guys that had Jamal Charles. You know, if you didn't get West at some point, either, you know, chances are you probably didn't draft them because you thought Niall Davis was going to be the backup. But at some point, if you wouldn't have spent whatever money you had left to get him, your season might have really went south quickly. Whereas if you got him, you might have at least been able to be competitive. So I think the difference is, is when you're t- talking about high society, you almost are forced to, to protect yourself, get the backup. And if you're going for, uh, you know, a main event championship or something where, you know, you're really going to need a lot of luck involved to have a chance to win, then do what you feel is necessary. I think that the difference now is, though, and injuries have always been part of the game, but with all of these uncertain running back situations with, you know, split backs and, and just the injuries as a whole, I'm kind of changing, changing the way I used to do things. I'm almost getting to the point where I feel it's important to get the backups for both, um, so that that's one key strategy. And then, of course, uh, if if you're talking about players that maybe they're not necessarily your your players' backup, um, I look for guys that either maybe had a big season last year that I'm not sure they can replicate again, or I look at guys that you know maybe are a little older and the wheels might fall off. So you know those are the kind of things. And if I can find the right situation. It's not necessarily about if they catch passes or if they don't catch passes, even though you know we want them to catch passes. Uh, I just go for who I think is going to get the opportunity. And like you said, um, getting Buck Allen was very, very big. Um, I got James White probably off the free agent wire at some point, even before he was kind of you know getting to play, and I had to hold on to him for a couple of weeks. So it really is kind of a you know cat and mouse game. You, you've got to balance your free agent money. You've also got to balance your roster, and you have to make sure that you know you protect yourself where you feel you need to be protected. I mean, if you're taking a running back in round 12, you probably don't need to get their back up unless you know you absolutely are weak at the position. But right now, you know, like you said in the beginning, like we talked about, there's so many uncertainties at running back. You know, it's kind of like once you have the foundation of your team, you just throw some darts and hope that some one of them sticks. Brian, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you assembled this uh, playoff challenge team that's currently tied for fourth place. Congratulations on that, uh, by the way, as Thank well, with, with with all those teams. It's certainly uh, awesome to see you experience this season-long success, and then you have the playoff challenge uh, success uh, to follow that up. That is really, really cool. Uh, three of Thank the you. top tight ends that made the playoffs uh, were on this roster. I believe it was Gronk, uh, Olsen, and Jordan Reed. Uh, that you have, would you ever consider uh, investing or, or have have you ever in your high-stakes career ever invested heavily into three tight ends uh, early, not necessarily in the first three rounds, but three tight ends early in a season-long contest uh, in the FFPC? I think it would really depend on the tight ends available. Um, I would say in general I would not take three tight ends early in a draft. 
I think you're you're just spreading yourself too thin, uh, especially at running back and and receiver, because at tight end, you know, you've got your elite ones, the Gronks, the Olsons, you know, the people that pretty much every year you can count on. But there's still then that next group, the Jordan Reeds. You can even say Tyler Eifert because he's been hurt on and off throughout his career. The guys that had big years this year, where sometimes they have monster years, they're capable of having monster years, but again, they fall into that bu- that bus factor. And what I try to do is avoid that situation all as possible. So, you know, it, it would depend on the tight ends. If I could get Gronk and Olsen and, you know, somebody else, I would consider it. But I'm, I'm afraid that I wouldn't. I think the, the biggest risk that I would do is probably take a tight end in the first round, and that would be about it for me. Um, I can tell you this, though, in another big league that I was in where tight ends were only worth one point, where it's a little different than, than what we're doing here uh, at FFPC. But that team was totally carried down the stretch by Jordan Reed, Delaney Walker, and Gary Barnage. So kind of going back to that theory of that 6-7 turn that we talked about earlier, I got Reed and Walker around that timeline and then ended up getting Gary Barnage off of the free agent wire in that league as well. And in that case, those three tight ends probably outscored almost anyone else on my team. So that's why I say you, you really have to keep be open to your strategy. If the players are there, you know, never say you wouldn't do anything in any kind of draft. Um, but for me, I would probably focus on, on getting one in the top part of the draft. And then where I've had success has been kind of, you know, again, going after some of those upside players somewhere between around six to maybe nine. We do have a couple of emails here for you, Brian. I, I wanna, I'm going to lump those all together when we, when we get to the, the last 15 minutes or so of the show. Uh, and I want to ask you this question as, as I'm already, you know, listen, my, my fantasy season and my teams are all train wrecks by like week nine. So I'm already looking forward to week uh, to 2016 after, you know, in like late October. So I've been yeah. doing this for a while. Now I actually get to interview people who are actually looking forward to the 2016 season. Uh, as you, obviously, a lot can happen with free agency and, and, and rookies and everything. But based on what you see right now, a guy that uh, you're looking forward to having a, a lot of shares in next year and a guy you are probably going to be avoiding in drafts uh, as we move forward uh, to next season. Yeah, I've got I've got a few. It's hard to kind of narrow it down so to to give some of the the listeners a little bit of a, um, a diverse way to look at this. Um, I definitely love Jarvis Landry. How can you not? When a guy is catching five, six, seven passes almost every every week, you know he falls into that Antonio Brown value. And obviously, he's not Antonio Brown. Uh, but any any anytime you can get somebody that's going to catch those passes you got to look for consistency. And, and I like Jarvis Landry this year. I took him you know, sometime in the beginning of the third round. I see him moving up because it's very hard to find guys that are consistent, barring injury. So, so I really like Landry. I'll continue to go on that. And then another guy um, that most people have just totally uh, probably sent down the toilet, including, including me, who he broke my heart in the playoff game, um, one guy that I'm going to be looking at next year is Jeremy Hill. And there's two things that motivate professional athletes. One is money, you know, if they're in a contract year. The second one is pride. And that guy was devastated after that playoff loss. You could just tell from the interviews to the, some of the shows they had on Showtime or whatever it was, it, it was just like the guy, you felt sorry for the guy. And as a fan, you know, it's even worse for me. But here's a guy, you know, you, you took him this year probably in the second round, and he did not have a good year. He did not clearly outperform the, where, the, the, the value of where he got drafted. So while everyone is down on him, I see a motivated guy coming back, maybe getting him three rounds later, and in the fifth, sixth round, I could easily see him being a steal uh, going into next year. Uh, otherwise, if he doesn't get it corrected, he's going to be out of the league. So he, so he even has that motivation on top of it. But anytime a guy is down, wounded, uh, if he has pride and in him being a second-year player coming from an SEC team where you know he was pretty dominant in college, he's entering that third year. And, and I think having success in the first year and then having – you know, I guess you would say failure in the second year, uh, it leads me to believe that that's a guy that I'm going to be looking at uh, when I come, you know, come into next year for guys that I that I will 
end up liking uh, more so than most people. What about and, and and I obviously you know I agree with you on on the whole premise of drafting proven players uh, off a down year. I think you, those guys almost always return good value. Uh, what about a guy that uh, that you're probably staying away from? A guy whose situation, opportunity, uh, offense, new coach, whatever it is, a guy that that you think uh, will not be on any of your teams next year. Well, I started taking him less this year, but. Once I ran the numbers even for the show and shared them with you earlier, um, I think my days of taking Adrian Peterson are, are probably over. Um, you know, so here's a guy who won the rushing title. But you combine father time and just the example of the receivers earlier, you know, I just don't see him being worthy of a top-five pick, um, even a top-eight-nine pick at this point. Um, so that would be one. And then another one you know, who I love this year was on a lot of my teams and is in the Super Bowl this week. Um, I took Jonathan Stewart this year, but he will most likely probably not be on my team next year. He's never played two full seasons, so I, you know, I don't have the confidence that he will repeat this. And also, with what he did down the stretch, he'll probably be third, fourth round, fifth round pick, and that's higher than what he normally has been. So that would be probably another guy that I'll be staying away from. Brian, I didn't even I didn't even realize this. I I didn't ask you sixty thousand dollars. What what do you plan on doing with all that cash? Well, um, most of it I'm investing back into my business. So what's giving me the opportunity to play in some of these leagues? Um, I'm also turning it back into the business as well. How genius! I like that. That's uh, just uh, you know uh, you know giving you the opportunity to uh, to you know even play more fantasy football. Uh, by uh, feeding the the beast that helps you play it in the first place. That's very smart on your part, but you didn't uh, need to hear me uh, tell you that because you already knew it. So let's move on to uh, the rundown here and get to some news and notes uh, before we get to some emails. Uh, Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network, Brian, reporting that Al Golden hired by the uh, Detroit Lions on Monday to coach their tight ends. Uh, Calvin Johnson, sounds like he's moving on. Doesn't sound like he's going to be playing next year, so it's going to be Golden Tate and it's going to be Eric Ebron as the two main targets in that passing offense. Are you excited uh, about Al Golden coaching the tight ends or, or you know, just coupling that with the news that Calvin Johnson is probably not going to be a Detroit Lion next year? Is Ebron going to take a big step? Well, you've heard this for, for a couple of years, uh, and, you know, I think, I think there's a reason they're bringing in, you know, Al Golden. He obviously was a tight end. He, he has the ability to hopefully work with Ebron. I remember seeing an interview last year uh, from Tony Gonzalez. I forget where it was, but you know he was kind of saying Ebron needs to change his routine or, or do something different. And I'm not sure what it is. You know, anytime you get a guy that was a high draft pick like this that hasn't really made an impact so far, it, it's kind of concerning. You know, it's not like he's had somebody on the the depth chart ahead of him and he's just waiting his, his time. So I don't know. Um, I could easily see him, you know, being one of those guys that has a, a good off season, has maybe a, a good preseason game, and then he falls into that, uh, you, you know, jumping up the boards, going two, three, four, five rounds earlier than than what he should be. He has the potential to kind of get into that second tier, but usually the hype turns out bad. And so for that reason. You know, without Calvin, I'm not sure Golden Tate is is a true number one. The running game still is, is is somewhat spotty at best. I don't think that they really have an answer quite yet. Although uh, Abdullah definitely has the the upside, but I don't know if he's an every down player. So for me, the Lions just kind of seem like a mess right now. Stafford, all of them, I would I would fade them at this point without knowing what happens, of course, in the draft and and if Calvin truly does retire. Um, because they need Calvin to definitely pull away attention from Tate. I think that's one of the reasons he's had a great year, couple of years, um, is because he is getting great matchups and he's he's proven to be a good receiver. Guy that could be uh, polarizing in drafts next year, Brian, is uh, Doug Baldwin from the Seahawks. Scored 11 touchdowns in his last six games of the season. He finished with a 78-10-69-14 touchdown line. The 14 touchdowns almost equaled his touchdown total from his previous four seasons combined. Next year, Doug Baldwin, targeting him or avoiding him in drafts? Well, if you remember what we talked about earlier, Doug Baldwin in the 16th round um, sounds like the best music you can hear. 
paying for Doug Baldwin now probably in the third round, maybe the fourth round, depending upon what happens with their running game, seems a little too steep for me. Um, I don't see when the value jumps that significantly on a guy that hasn't done it necessarily consistently over the last few years. Um, I think the actual opposite, Tyler Lockett, provides probably more of the value just simply because you're going to be able to get him a few rounds later. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with you uh, on the ball. I, I hadn't considered that he could go as high as the third or fourth round, uh, but certainly with Russell Wilson taking a step forward uh, passing in that offense much more and with Marshawn Lynch and, and the running game taking more of a backseat to that uh, the aerial attack there, I think that you could be right. And people, um, it only takes one guy, right, to, to take Doug Baldwin in, in the third or fourth round. So we definitely could see that happen. Um, a guy who well, will you not could slip. See, you could also see Curse. I believe he's a free agent. So I, I imagine, you know, there's going to be teams out there that need receivers and, and may be willing to overpay him as well. Oh, for sure. And the, and the receiver market, too, I, it, from what I'm reading, uh, is not going to be that deep in free agency. So you could see some guys... Uh, really get paid that uh, maybe don't deserve that type of money. Uh, Drew Doherty from uh, HoustonTexans.com did a story in DeAndre Hopkins at the Pro Bowl. Uh, Michael Irvin just falling all over himself talking about how great Hopkins was. Three catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown in the Pro Bowl. Finished the season with 111 catches, 1,521 yards, and 11 touchdowns last season. He also caught a touchdown from four different quarterbacks this past year, which is also an NFL record. All this great stuff about DeAndre Hopkins, Brian. Are, what wideouts would you select before him in drafts next season? Well, I would be happy if Hopkins were, were actually on any of my teams. He, he's a beast. And like you said, um, he's just entering that point. He's young. He's breaking out. He doesn't have a quarterback. So imagine him playing on some of the teams where, where the quarterbacks are actually doing something. Uh, but for me, he's a top five pick next year. The only three receivers that I I would take as of today ahead of him would be Antonio, Julio, and Odell. I think Odell, you know, coming in same system. I think he's he moves up the charts uh, to the top three. Um, and again, for me personally, I don't see running backs going ahead of any of those guys. Um, now, of course, Gronk falls into that pick as well. That's why I said top five, because you never know where, where Gronk will go one or Gronk will go five or maybe the end of the first round. Uh, but with the tight end being a very important piece uh, with the leagues, I could see him squeezing somewhere in there. But for the for the three receivers, those would be the ones, the only ones that I would take over him. Those are the three, actually, I, I would uh, also take uh, over Hopkins. I'd be very happy if um, you know, if they went off the board and it came to Hopkins uh, for me in the mid first, I would I would jump at the opportunity to uh, grab him as my first round pick. A guy I will not be taking in the first round of any drafts this uh, coming year. Eddie Lacy advised to lose 30 pounds in the offseason, according to uh, Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. If Lacy does lose this weight, Brian, is he a guy that you would look at in like the third or the fourth round, um, or do you think that? You know, if he does lose the weight, he looks good in training camp. People are saying he's in the best shape of his life. He's 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 gonna you know have the same sort of impact when uh, that Le'Veon Bell had when he lost all that weight, uh, and Lacey's gonna crush it this season. Is that gonna drive his price up too high for you on draft boards this season? Where would you look at taking Lacey? Well, Lacey killed me this year as as he killed many others in some of my leagues um, where I did go running back in the first late first some point in the second round and it was very hard to overcome especially with the the receivers at that point being gone so you know i think there's a couple of things in these leagues packers are are usually a, a favorite for most of the people i don't know if it's because there's a lot of people out your way that are playing fantasy football out there <laughs> but uh there's definitely a following you know, look at how how aaron Rodgers just keeps getting drafted so high in all of these leagues when, uh, you know, a lot of times it doesn't make sense. So I think there's enough people out there that will reach. Um, I can definitely see a situation if he if he lost the 30 pounds, people got a glimpse of it on TV or, you know, the, the first preseason game, he, ran, he runs a 60-yard touchdown. Uh, we're going to be in the, in the same situation where we're in the first round and, and people are considering him again. So for me, I again, I'm, I'm about value. I talked about Jeremy Hill, where most people would not even be thinking about that. Most people would would be considering, you know, cutting a guy like that. Um, but here's the same kind of scenario. 
here's a guy that went in the first round, and in years past he had some good good years to justify that. But if he falls four rounds later and now you're getting into the fifth round and you can take two great receivers to start out and then Eddie Lacy is now maybe my, my second back or he, he's kind of a you know a take-a-risk 1B one, one running back, I would definitely reconsider it again. Um, I've, I've followed this pattern with Doug Martin for a few years now. Uh, obviously it was, a, it was a rough ride to get to this year, but I took Doug Martin in a lot of leagues this year, and even though he has killed me, it was the value where he fell. You know, he was going a couple years ago in the in the end of the first, second round, something like that. You know, now he was in the fifth or sixth round, and he was the the second best running back, you know, at least from the rushing title. So again, never say never. But for me, if Eddie Lacy falls to you know four rounds later than where he went this year, uh, as long as as long as he's showing some sign of improvement. I would I would definitely consider it, and that that leads me you know I don't I don't know how most of the the viewers are, but a lot of a lot of the value really happens in the summer you know when when the drafts start maybe in the beginning of June and not necessarily August that's where you can really get yourself set up not only for the main events but you can get like guys like this before they are on TV before everyone is you know, jumping three rounds earlier to, to take them, the Joseph Randles, the people, you know, that we, we continue to deal with every year and they skyrocket the boards, but seems like they let us down more often than not. But, again, yeah. I would consider it. I, I don't rule out anybody unless it's back to that reason where I don't believe they can consistently do what they're doing. And if I'm not sold on that, I won't take them again. That all makes sense uh, to me, uh, Brian. Let's uh, let's go through. I don't know how many emails we'll get to, but let's let's pound out a few here. Uh, first one, we're going. We're I want to make sure we get to this one. Uh, this is from our old friend Javier in Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, he writes, "Long time no talk, guys. Congrats to Brian on getting co-hosting duties this week, as well as having a great year in the FFPC." As I begin my prep for post-Super Bowl FFPC satellites, what can you tell me about what Adam Gase is going to do for guys like Tannehill, Landry, and Devontae Parker? I feel like their value could get out of control, but will they be worth their salt in 2016? I never stopped listening. That's Javier in Terre Haute, Indiana. Javier, we appreciate you listening and the email. So let's talk about what Adam Gase is going to mean for this Dolphins offense uh, in 2016, Brian, what do you see him uh, doing for Tannehill in that passing game there? Well, thanks, Javier, for, for the email. I definitely see them all taking another step forward. Um, I see, of course, I talked about Landry earlier. You know, I was on high on Tannehill this year. I thought he was going to, to take that step. Uh, it didn't appear that he did that, at least on the surface, but he actually didn't do terrible He's a kind of a sneaky fantasy quarterback because he gets a few rods rushing, even though you don't see him as that. So, you know, he was on some of my teams, and he was actually on one of these bigger teams where, you know, he would get 18, 20 points. So he's not a quarterback that's necessarily going to kill you. Uh, they also would come from behind, uh, it seemed like, so that's good for fantasy. But I'll, I think Tannehill takes a small step forward. I wouldn't get crazy and go up and get him in the sixth round type of thing. But, you know, 10th round, something like that, 11th round, I think that's about right for, for where he's at. Um, I like Lamar Miller. You know, I think, again, back to those, those running backs, um, he is a consistent guy. Yes, he, he's had injuries and things like that. But given the right certain situation, and I, and I think, you know, with the, new, with the new situation, they will run the ball more. So assuming he's there, um, I definitely would, would see him being a, a nice pick uh, and then you've got to like Devontae Parker. He showed flashes. Um, I actually picked him up down the stretch, and he helped me a couple of times. So I think he's kind of that receiver where he got a little slower start. A lot of people were high on him when we were drafting. It just took a little while to get going, but I see him making a big role next year. I am also a uh, Devontae Parker fan in 2016 for sure. Let's go to Rob in Danville, Kentucky. Is Tyler Eifert going to be the number one overvalued tight end in football guys' leagues next year? 13 touchdowns in 13 games. Screams regression to the mean to me, but I am not sure that everyone will remember that this summer. Uh, what's your opinion on, on your Bengal, Tyler Eifert, uh, Brian? Is he going to be a little bit overvalued, or is he a guy that, uh, that you think is going to be performing up to a similar level in 2016? 
I think the only reason that he would regress is due to injury. You know, that's the only thing holding him back. Um, he he was healthy for the most part, but you got to understand he did miss three games this year. So he caught 52 passes. You know, obviously had I think it was 12 touchdowns. So you factor in three more games, and he very easily could get to 65 uh, catches. And I see that being kind of a consistent, if healthy. Because the other thing I see playing out here, and you talked about it earlier, is the free agent market for receivers. Uh, it's, it's very thin, which means people are going to overspend. And I think it's going to be challenging for the Bengals to sign um, you know, Marvin Jones. I believe he's going to probably get similar to money to what Golden Tate got. And Mike Brown is not notorious for you know, paying these kind of guys. And we're, we're losing a lot of free agents, so the money's going to have to go somewhere, and I know they're building on that defense. They'd love to have Marvin Jones, but it would not surprise me if Hugh Jackson up north uh, in Cleveland doesn't end up making a, a serious push to get Marvin Jones and, and maybe even overpay. Uh, I don't know what their cap is, but it wouldn't surprise me. And if that happens, I think Eifert becomes even more important to the offense, and I've already looked in some of the mock drafts so far where um, – it's got the Bengals potentially looking at Braxton Miller at the end of the first round. So wow. we'll find out what happens there. But if Marvin Jones is not re-signed, um, I love Tyler Eifert, barring injury. Uh, I want to get to – we have Rob's telling me we have time for one last email, and I'm, I'm going to choose this one from Kenny in Tampa, Florida. Uh, he writes, hello, not as good as Dave and clearly way better than Dave. I'm assuming that's me and then you, uh, Brian. I seem to remember <laughs> – show- Show mascot two packer making an aggressive I got five on it wager back when he co hosted before the season started regarding Allen Robinson finishing as a top twelve receiver. Now that we know two packer was clearly a genius, how high does Robinson go next year? Is it crazy to say he's in the first round discussion? Thanks for the email, Kenny in Tampa, Florida. I don't think it's crazy to say he's in the first round discussion, Brian. Is is Robinson a guy that you'd be looking at in the second half of the first round? Yeah, let, let's look at what happened this year. So, you know, we saw, um, you know, obviously guys skyrocket in the first two rounds. Um, you know, you've got Jordan Matthews, who ended up going closer to the actual draft, where he was sometimes a high second-round pick, and, and, of course, that didn't work out. you got Cooks. I remember him going, and I even was guilty of it, taking him at the end of the first round in a couple of drafts. So when you're comparing that, I think Allen Robinson is, is going to be more consistent, uh, you know, definitely than Jordan Matthews. So if we saw it last year, I totally agree. I think late first round, early second round is what you'll see this year. Great stuff to, tonight, Brian. I want to thank you uh, for coming on the show. This was quite a treat to to have you on uh, for an hour. We, we honestly, we easily could have done 90 minutes and probably two hours. Uh, with yeah. all all the stuff we got to tonight and all the stuff we didn't get to tonight. But it was great to pick your brain. I want to congratulate you on all the success you had, uh, not only this past season, but uh, in your high-stakes career. You've obviously uh, you know, accomplished quite a bit and uh, certainly a, a guy that uh, I, I will uh, try to pick your brain going forward <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and take advantage to take advantage of it uh, as much as I can for my own selfish personal gain. Uh, I want to uh, wish you best of luck uh, in the Super Bowl uh, with uh, with your playoff challenge team and wish you best, uh, best of luck in 2016, man. Thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And real quick, what's, what's the uh, prediction for the Super Bowl from you? I, I like uh, Denver to uh, cover the spread, but I like Carolina winning outright. There you go. I agree. All right, man. You have a good one. Thanks again for having me, and thanks to all the, the to the listeners. All right. Thanks a lot so much, Brian. We appreciate it. Brian Owens, 2015 FFPC Payback uh, cha- champion, high society runner-up, uh, crushed his main events, uh, put a ton of main event teams in the playoffs. We didn't get a chance to talk about that, but uh, this was awesome having him on. Uh, I know I learned a lot tonight. I hope everybody else learned as much as I did. So I want to thank Brian Owens. I want to thank uh, Wendy's. I want to thank Gatorade, FedEx, the FFPC, Rob, uh, our mutual friend and producer, Bryce, our audio engineer. Of course, you listeners for hanging out on a Friday night. Uh, Next week, Dave returns. He will be back on the show. We're trying to get, we'll see if I can make it work, but we're going to try to get the world-famous playoff champion on the show next week as well. 
if not them, we'll get them on soon. We'll have another guest on next week. It's going to be great. Enjoy the game, people. It's going to be a great Super Bowl on Sunday. We'll be back next week. Your Super Bowl weekend officially starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week.